Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is July 13th, 2023. And the title for our message is Jewel Crafters. Can we get that slide? We picked this title because we figured 85% of you would remember it because you shop at a similar store. Look, tonight is going to be exciting. Tonight's going to be fun. Tonight's going to be refreshing and reinvigorating. Tonight is also going to be convicting. We know that because as we studied last night, my fellow coworker and I, until the wee hours of the morning, we found quite a few passages that hit us like a 70-pound Bosch hammer. We were crushed. If you don't know what that is, ask Pastor Judah for a lesson, and he will give you the 18-hour crash course on what a 70-pound Bosch hammer is. Look, there's a few passages that we thought about omitting from our message. Quite simply because as we were looking at it, we were so convicted to our core that we just thought there's no way we can preach this. But then we resolved on to the fact that we must preach it because we realized that God was convicting us as we were moving past our insecurity about the matter for the sake of you guys that you should receive the same thing. So as we move forward tonight, let's engage with the scripture as it is. Amen. You ready to go on a journey with us? Tonight we want to review and start off by reviewing the first three cutting principles that we learned recently. Let's go to Jeremiah 2, starting in verse 32. It says, Does a maiden forget her jewelry and a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. On Sunday, we were faced with the shocking question, and we had a realization that forgetting is intentional. It's not actually forgetting, and we know that. It's more like omitting. Yeah. We were faced with the intentional omission of what the Lord, uh, of how we view our brothers, of how we view the gold that the Lord has put inside of our lives. And we choose to take the good things that the Lord is doing and not share it with everybody else. Yeah. It's because, and walking through this personally, I realize when I omit things from my team because I want an intended outcome, it comes from a place of selfishness. And it, becomes, it comes from a place of not actually valuing my brother's position and what they have to say and their insight. Guys, as we were working through this, I can tell you, putting these things into practice and rising up and conquering these things, it has changed my week this week. Our second cutting came from Lamentations 4, 1 through 2. It says, how the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. How the precious sons of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. In our second cutting from Sunday, we were challenged to the core with the areas of gold in our brothers' lives that are in fact precious, but have lost their luster in our eyes. The beautiful things that God has done in our brothers' lives, the amazing things that God has done in our own lives that are worth more than their weight in gold, 
and are still worth more than their weight in gold, but they're losing their luster in our eyes because we're not seeing them rightly. Something has occurred in our own eyesight that is not allowing us to see the truth of the value of where we are and the value of our brothers. The truth is, is that our brothers never lost their actual value. Gold is still gold. No matter if you're blind or you have 20-20 vision, gold is still gold. We were faced with the reality that oftentimes in our day-to-day life, our brothers have lost their value in our own eyes alone. And we wrestled with the selfishness on our part that causes us to not be able to see that rightly. Let's go to Ezekiel 16, verse 17. It says, you also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. Gross. In our third cutting, we gained perspective in the areas of our hearts, that when we turn the precious materials that was actually used to form us, and we make idols out of them by refusing to benefit our brothers and sisters, it causes us to... Uh, have a superiority complex. I've got this gold, you know, I've got this good teaching and it made me into something. And if we're not careful, it causes us to lord it over other people. I know this truth and you don't, that therefore I'm better than you. Let it never be this way. Selfishness is something that blinds us and it causes us to be carnal, carnal toads that uh, produce no life anywhere that we go. This is what we've been interacting with and what we've been meditating on. Selfishness really does blind everything that we do. You see, we as the people of God need to be reminded of the true value of others around us. Because we selfishly focus our eyes on our own value. And in turn, begin to devalue others. We as the people of ministry have to have our eyes washed to the many precious materials that the Lord has used to fashion us because our own hearts are selfishly inclined to believe that it is because of our own greatness that the Lord has done this for us and he will do the same for no other. It's an extreme symptom of selfishness to believe that what God has done for you is so great and it's not possible or you're just simply better because he has done it for you. No, that's an act of mercy and grace on your life. James 3.16 rings true when he says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder and every evil practice. The truth is, is that disorder and every evil practice shows up mostly in the little things, not the great mistakes and big things that are public, it shows up mostly in the little things inside of our heart, the little things inside of our mind that no one knows about, that we withhold or we omit from the Lord and from our team and attempt to manipulate every situation to better suit our chaos and discord. But tonight, we are very thankful because the Lord has been giving us solutions this week as we've been wrestling with this. We just want to stop and say that we can see the Lord's approval on this body. 
We are very proud of this body and how we are intentionally getting after loving each other, cutting these things off and rising up into what we're supposed to be. The truth is, is our body is doing better than it ever has been. With more capable ministers left and right, the word being spoken all around, this church has a high call. And uh, we were feeling that. I was feeling that in worship. The Lord uh, gave me a heart in a different kind of way for you tonight. Amen. Y'all have a high call in this place. You see, we have more capable ministers in our midst than ever before. Amen. More than at any time in the One Association or Life Changing Ministries, we have more capable ministers in our midst right now. I think that's prompting the Lord to do something in this body. I believe that it's prompting the Lord to bring even more fruitful times of training and growth. Because the Lord is proud of this body, he is moving forward and gaining momentum in his discipline and training of us so that we can become even greater. As a body, we've already proven that we can be capable ministers. What does that show to the Lord? He is going to train those who are trustworthy and worthy of being entrusted with more, more and more training he is going to give. That is what the Lord is doing. The call on the families in this church is high, and therefore the Lord is faithful to bring us into ever more intense and fruitful levels of discipline and refinement so that we can hit the intended mark for all of our lives. Look, with that said, let's begin to unravel the beautiful things that the Lord has been showing us as we've been reflecting on the areas that we still need to be refined in. Are you guys ready? Let's turn to Psalm 27, verse 4. Say jewel crafters when you're there. Jewel crafters. Starting in verse 4, the psalmist says, One thing. Say one thing. One thing. One thing I ask of the Lord. Wow, if you had one thing to ask of the Lord, what would you ask? One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Look, the seeking Him in His temple to the psalmist is the one thing that he's asking for. The one thing that he's running after. This one thing is, in fact, one thing to the psalmist. This means that he's not running after the Lord with a divided heart. He's not running after the Lord with his mind on other things, with his mind weighed down with other things. There is one thing, a singular undivided mind, an echad mind, a singular focus and purpose to this psalmist. It kind of reminded me of, uh, what is it, Ben? 1 Timothy 4, 12? As the LSB and the NET says, be absorbed in these things. You see, that, that really is shocking to me because I know what it's like to be absorbed in something. But this psalmist is absorbed with one thing. Seeking the Lord and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of his life. You see... 
Instead of selfish priorities, there's really one thing that we need. Instead of the milieu of things that we think we need, there is really one thing, an undivided, singular focus on one thing that's needed. This man is speaking about a hunger and a jealous desire to seek the face of the living God, to be with his king, to look at his beauty, to gaze on his attributes, and to know him better. The truth is, is we have this opportunity every day. We get to seek him in his temple, meaning with those around us together as a body in unison and in unity. This seeking that the psalmist is speaking of is not exclusive to the brothers on his left and right. This is not so much a private affair. He wants to seek the Lord in his temple, in the courts where there are his brothers and the people of Israel and his family around him. This true seeking, this undivided seeking of the Lord, it is what causes selfish priorities to be crushed in us. And because you're seeking him in the assembly, you're growing and testifying to your weakness and God's power in the assembly as you're seeking him. Praising him in the assembly is not just strumming with a fast tempo and it's not just shouting with loud shouts. Giving praise is giving glory to the Lord in every detail of your life in the assembly with the midst around you. You guys remember the scripture? My son, give glory to the Lord. You could say that Achan praised the Lord in the assembly that day by confessing the very thing that was keeping him from seeking the Lord, but he was now getting victory from it. This seeking him in the assembly causes us to crush selfish priorities in our life. The type of seeking that is honest and transparent with one another. I am desperately seeking the Lord, Ray, and I'm having this issue. Can you help me praise him together with you? Can we talk about it? Can you help strengthen me, brother? That's what it means to praise in the assembly. Before we go to Psalm 91, uh, I just want to say this passage really did hit home with me uh, in the past couple of days. It caused me to really ask, what is the things that I am seeking out? You know, when I'm driving home from work and, and I'm tired and I just want to chill out and think about absolutely nothing or put on a news podcast or something, can I genuinely say that the one thing that I'm asking for the Lord, from the Lord all the time is to be with him, to have his heart in mind? Church, tonight I want you all to think about this question. What is the one thing that you're really asking for in the day? Is it divided? Does, do you have a million different things that you're thinking about and you try to fit the Lord in there? Because that's been me, and I don't want it to be that way. Let's look at Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16. It says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Notice what the Lord says about a man who has a wholehearted pursuit of him. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I am going to rescue him. He promises answers from heaven. He promises deliverance, honor, and true companionship 
with his son who loves him. All of these things are, are a response to only one thing, the righteous man's love for the Lord and his desire to call upon him and to be with him. None of these things are a result of his own proficiency or his own accomplishments or the things that he's done in the past. No, they are a result of the man's dependency and desperation to seek him. Everything comes from him. If you need victory in your team, loving the Lord will give you victory in your team. If you need victory in your marriage, cultivating that one thing will give you victory in your marriage. Whatever you need, if you're struggling at work and you're afraid to stand up and be bold like you should be, loving the Lord will overcome that. And that is something that the Lord takes personal interest in because he loves me, I'm going to deliver him. This is what we get to experience on a daily level. We get to experience him delivering us on a daily level as we choose to love him and make him the one thing that we're looking after. There's a treasure gem that we want to hint at here. The man that experiences this on a daily basis, the answering of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord, the honor of God, and the companionship of God, the man that experiences this on a daily level in transparency, well, it's pretty hard for selfishness to rest in a man like that. You could say he would be free to transmit that deliverance and companionship to others because he is experiencing it on a daily level in his interaction with the Lord. We want to turn to Psalm 73, verse 12 through 17. And this is one of the passages that rocked us. Verse 12 says, This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Now without any background or context of the verse, has anyone felt like this? Yes, I, I have. You see, what makes this passage intriguing is that it was written by none other than Asaph. Asaph was a man that stood in the presence of the Lord very, very often. Like most of us, Asaph stood in the presence of the Lord on a very regular basis, and yet he is struggling to see things rightly. This is a common problem in all of us. Asleep in the light, as one, as one artist called it. So inundated with the truth and presence of God that it becomes common and oppressive at the same time. Feels like being punished because you're not seeing it rightly. Asaph is a man that is standing in the assembly often, and he still manages to say in verse 2 of this psalm, I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. Envy. You see, he is in the presence of God regularly. He is ministering to his brothers on a weekly 
if not daily basis, directing temple worship, and he is still wrestling with his own selfish desires. Like James 3.15 says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Can anyone relate to that? Standing in the presence of God often, ministering to the people around you, and yet not being able to see things rightly, wrestling with envy and selfish ambition, seeing the people wrong, and feeling oppressed like you're slipping at the same time. Before we put up this next slide, I want to comment on that. What is commonplace among us is not normal. The life that we have, the, the way that we get to move in the gifts of the Spirit, we get to interact with the, the Holy One of the universe, yeah. the fact that our lives are being transformed, the things that we get to do every day, they are commonplace among us, but they are not normal. Could you see how Asaph could be going to work every day? This was kind of his job as well. He was on staff. <laughs> he was on staff. He went to work every day. Day after day after day, meeting after meeting after meeting. And I'm sure eventually what was commonplace among him became normal in his eyes because he got his eyes off of the one thing that really matters. Let's put up this slide. See, Asaph had taken his eyes off of the great king of the universe and had set them ever so slightly off on his own evil desires. Like he said, my foot had almost slipped. What we mean is, in this passage, he had lost connection with his head. He has drifted from his personal interaction with the living God, even though he was leading people into his presence. And that is a dangerous place to be. Anytime we get up to lead our brothers in something, if we don't have that radical right, that is a dangerous place to be. Drifting while we work. That, that is not something that we want to be walking in. This has caused him to not be able to see the Lord rightly, and therefore he can't see the people around him rightly. When that radical gets off, everything gets off. You don't know what the Lord wants to do. You don't know what your brothers are going through. You don't know what they need, and you don't know what you need. This is, this is what happens when we get our eyes off of the one thing that we really should be looking for. And it's what happens when we focus on the work that's ahead of us before we focus on the king that commissioned us to do it. Thank God that's not where he stayed. Man, we serve a faithful God. Take a look at verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Come on. Then I understood their final destiny. Now, Asaph surely does not mean that one day he just suddenly walked into the physical sanctuary and his eyes were just opened. Like he just got out of his funk. He did this every day. Walking into the physical sanctuary, ministering to the people of God. What is happening here is that Asaph entered into the heavenly sanctuary and got before the king of kings and sought his counsel. Come on. Can you say we need to go higher? We need to go higher. Church, this is the answer for everything in our lives. 
This enabled him to walk into the physical sanctuary with his head held high and empowered to see his brothers and sisters rightly and to minister to them with the counsel that he got from the throne of God. His reticle was rightened, and it looked like this. Come on. See, the righteous reticle that we learned from in the message Misplaced Enmity is all about having the vertical access in order, in pure order, before you have your horizontal axis in order. This is very, very important to remember at all times and very easy to forget. Oftentimes what we notice more than not is we notice our horizontal axis off. And we don't really notice it off, we just feel it a little bit. But so few actually consider the truth that we're feeling that because we lost feeling here sometime well before that. You see, now that Asaph is seeing the Lord rightly, he's able to minister effectively to the needs of others around him. The last verse of this psalm carries the attitude and newfound vigor that Asaph gained in the Lord's presence. He says in verse 28, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This was his conclusionary statement to the song he wrote about this experience. He said, it is good to be near God. It is good to be near God was his message to his brothers. Keeping the Lord his refuge was his commitment. Telling of all his deeds to his brothers was forged in his heart as his mission to the people around him. What we are learning tonight is that the answer to our cancerous self-dependency self-promotion and self-righteousness and self-service is to renew a love and passion, a pure, fiery passion for entering into the sanctuary of God and receive from him the purification of our own souls and a fresh infilling of his spirit to empower us to give the same thing to the people around us. It's not enough to notice that your horizontal axis is off And then come to this altar and just ask the Lord for a greater love for people. I've tried that a hundred times. It has never worked for me. What I do find, though, is when that vertical axis gets firmly settled in place and I'm interacting with the living God, I naturally have a burning desire to share the same thing with the people around around me. I want them to experience what I have experienced. I oftentimes a Mashalom Ka confessed to being insatiable. It's the first Nabal trait on my Nabal card. My brother Rob is very good at this. He reminds me of the consecrated uh, Abigail trait. He said, brother, you're not insatiable. When you find a good thing, you tenaciously pursue it because you want more of it. And I've noticed a thing in myself. When I find something that's good, I want everybody to have it. That's why I'm in sales. I want everybody to experience the same thing that I am experiencing. Man, how often we need a fresh interaction with the living God, hear his voice, and fall in love with it, and then look at our brother and say, I want the same thing for you, and work to that effect. Now that we've been able to glean from Asaph's interactions with the Lord, we want to share a very familiar passage with you that we have been personally getting wrecked by this week. Let's go to Revelation 2, and we'll start in verse 1.
says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and have found them false. First off, we want to say what has been challenging us from this passage is that we want to be just like these men. Yeah. We want to be just like these men who work hard, yeah. who persevere for his name, who cannot tolerate wickedness or wicked men. See, they set an example before us by being faithful witnesses to the whole counsel of God. They set an example for us by being loving shepherds who with tears would fight for the sheep and equipping them. They set an example for us by being courageous martyrs who willingly participated in the sufferings of Christ. See, are you guys like us? Do you desire to be like the Ephesians here? We desire with everything in our heart to be like the Ephesians. And truthfully, church, in all reality, the shock of this verse is that we are doing these things. Like we said before, we can see that the Lord is pouring out his favor on the high coal in this room. Your deeds are abounding. Your brotherly love has never been more intact. We have never loved each other more as a church. We actually are these men. We are busy with meetings and ministry and evangelism. We are busy getting about the work that God has called us to get about doing. This body is rich with deeds, and we honor hard work. But this is really what hit us. We realize that in everything that we do, if we do not have the one thing that the Lord is after in our lives, which is a desire for him, this is the result. Let's go to verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown, grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's incredible that the Lord praises all of these things that we earnestly want to emulate and are earnestly emulating. But the correction given to the Ephesian body consisted of only six words. You have forsaken your first love. You see, it seems that the Ephesians mastered their duty on the horizontal axis of the reticle, but forsook the vertical axis of the righteous reticle. We learned on Foundations in Acts 20 that these Ephesians would do well for 300 years, but ultimately their first line of defense fell. Their love for the Lord and the careful watch of their own lives. And then their doctrinal and horizontal defense crumbled, allowing deception to plague over half of the world's population, making up those who worship Mary and Muhammad. Wow. Jesus' words are truly terrifying. If you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand. See, the Ephesians could be proud that their lampstand burned for 400 years. 
but it was in fact removed eventually. This has been cutting us this week. Without that first love, you have no lampstand. And without, no lamp, without a lampstand, you have no ministry. Yeah. Everything that they were intent on building, everything that they did for the Lord, if they did not have that first love, eventually it dies out. They die out and their works die out. In church, I am not content with one person in this room losing their lampstand. I'm not content with losing my lampstand. Getting caught up with the day-to-day things. Getting ta- caught up with the tasks and the teachings that are amazing and holy and we want to do with all of our hearts. But what is fueling your ministry? What is fueling your conversations with your brothers and your sisters? Is it the lampstand of God that comes from the love that you have for him? Or is it because we want to look good? Because we want to feel good because we gave a brother that word and, you know, now, now I can go home because I've accomplished something. Without his love, we are nothing. And without the love that we had at first, like when he first called us and everything that we wanted to do was serve him and love him and find out the next thing that he wanted us to do. You guys remember that time? I've been reflecting on that this week. All I wanted to do was be with him. All I wanted to do was get in his word and search out more about his character. But that hunger can die out if you're just focused on the things that you need to do. It is easy. And it's a staggering reality to consider. This was their first line of defense, was their first love. But eventually it faded away. Church, tonight we need to renew that first love. Yeah. I need to renew that first love. You see, our first line of defense in this is our personal interaction with the Lord. Our passionate love for Him and our pure and undefiled relationship to Him each and every day. From this angle comes our honest and unashamed attempts to watch our lives daily and make sure that we are in right standing with Him. This can only be achieved through nothing other than our simple childlike and renewed newlywed desire to be with him come on an approach to his throne with the desire to appear perfect or to gain a better position in the kingdom has not will not and never will work and to be honest we already know that many of us have tried see the cost is very high to not pursue the heart of god like david did without it there is nothing worth having a lampstand among Without the pure running and pursuing after the Lord, there is nothing worth having a light to draw the nations to. With that said, there are a few questions that we must ask ourselves honestly, and we mean us too. Yeah. How much time do we spend in prayer? Not enough. How often do we get in the word to gain insight into what our king is like and interact with him on a pure level? Not, Not putting together words for your teams or other people, but interacting with the King of Kings through his written and inspired word. How often do we enter this building with an eager expectation to truly experience his ever-present presence, meaning the presence that is always here at all times? How often do we stop and seek the Lord's face before we make a decision? How many times do we choose to pour our time into something, anything else, 
instead of spending time with the King of Kings. If our relationship with him has become dull, mundane, or insipid, how can we stand with him in eternity? The righteous resurrection will not just be righteous because there's an absence of hostility or an absence of sin. If he has become dull now and interacting with him has become boring, what will we do for eternity? He is the eternal one that we are always running after, learning new things about his character, and interacting with him at all times. Church, while you are meditating on these things, we want to read through a few scriptures that will refresh your, your memory on the principles that we're aiming at. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. In this passage, the Hebrew word shema, or to hear, is in the imperative. It's an imperial command, and it's akin to something like, hear me now, the Lord is one, you must love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It's an imperative command, and it's the greatest command, to love the Lord with all. Jesus mentions in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Mark twelve thirty, and Luke ten twenty seven that this is the greatest commandment. But what is very important to realize is Jesus said the second greatest commandment is like this first one, and it comes out of Luke or sorry Leviticus nineteen verse eighteen. It says, "Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." Notice which command comes first in Jesus' response. It comes from loving the Lord and then loving your neighbor as yourself without uh, grudge, without any selfish ambition. It comes from loving the Lord first because we can't love our brothers rightly if we're not loving the Lord first. This is true about your neighbor and how much more true is it about your brother? If you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, how much more the people in this room, the people you live with, the teams that you're formed? See, we've heard this passage many times, but we forget the order that, that Jesus listed them in. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. Does it shock anyone to realize that he's quoting from Leviticus 19.18, which says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. This is because our ability to love our neighbor instead of exacting revenge or bearing a grudge in any deed or thought directly stems from our heartfelt, soul-stirring, and strong love for the Lord. Amen. That's true about our neighbor. How much more, how much more is it true for your brothers in this very room. Church, we know that we are not to love in word or thought only, but that our love for our brothers has to be expressed in our actions. That is what love is. It is, it is sacrificial actions demonstrating your love. The only way that, the, that this is possible is for our love for the Lord to so permeate us that our actions are directed from our great and daily love for the king of kings. It does not come natural to people with selfish flesh 
to serve others sacrificially. But there is one thing that changes all of that. When you love the Lord, when you love the one that did sacrifice for you in his flesh, you in turn interact with that and you begin to sacrifice naturally for others around you. As we said before, it's not possible to focus solely on our need to love the people around us more. We can't just come to the altar and ask for more love, more power, more of you in my life, Lord. We have to ascend to a higher love for the Lord. And then from that position, that daily interaction, protected by your discipline and diligence, expand what you're receiving in the heavens to your brothers. 1 John 4 draws from these concepts. Come on, 1 John 4, starting in verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. Has anyone in the room experienced God's love? Any encouragement from being united? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship with the Spirit? Any tenderness and compassion? Of course you have. This is all intended, intended to prompt you and reciprocate it to other people. In verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Guys, it really doesn't get more plain than this. But if you're like us, it's easy to say, no, I don't really hate my brother. That's a strong word. That's a really strong word, and it's nasty, and I don't like it. But when you withhold your love from them, when you don't have anything to give them because you haven't been loving the Lord with that first kind of love, it is hating your brother. When you withhold the things that they need because of your own selfish motives. Verse 21 says that whoever loves God must love his brother because this is the natural flow of shalom. If you are truly in love with the Lord, then you won't be able to withhold loving actions from your brother. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 4 and see this trans a transforming pastor that's rising up. As we're moving forward with a gracious and brisk pace because we have some passages we want to get to, we want you to realize that this is a rising pastor that is being spoken about. Do we have some rising pastors in this room? Oh, yeah. We want you to glean on what is happening here in this rising pastor's life. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Notice what Paul says first. Watch your life and doctrine. When he says this, he's asking Timothy. He's charging Timothy, exhorting him. Timothy, watch your entire life consisting of your first and primary love for the Lord. Watch your daily disciplines, Timothy. Watch your 12 gates, Timothy. Watch them closely in your life. Make sure that you are benefiting from them every day. You're receiving sustenance from them every day. And you're interacting with them deeply every single day. 
So these tools that our pastors have given us are not just things to recite to make us feel better. They are actually intended to lead us in greater interaction with the King of Kings if we apply them rightly. Paul is saying, watch your life. Watch your love. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart daily. Make sure it is burning. See, Paul knows that this rising pastor can keep a close watch on the daily purity of his relationship with God. Then he will inevitably keep a close eye on his doctrine. Why? Because his doctrine is meant to lead others in the same thing that he is currently walking in. Men who are watching their life closely, watch their doctrines closely because they know and they want to teach others to have the same thing that they have. But having that first line of defense crumble is all too easy to misapply right doctrine and teach others. Now having said that, look at Timothy's report card that he receives in Philippians 2.19 through 21, which comes around the same time or slightly after than 1 Timothy 4. Come on, Philippians 2, verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out to his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy did, in fact, heed Paul's example and his teaching. This is proven in his ability to take genuine concern to his brothers and sisters. He had undefiled interests, untainted interests, and he was genuinely interested in the welfare of others without expecting anything back. It's very, everyone looks out for their own interests. It's very hard oftentimes to look out for the interest of Christ, especially when you have that selfishness as a blinder. This is what makes a minister a true example of a man who loves the Lord. It shows up in our ability to pour out our genuine love and concern for our brothers and sisters. But the only way to do this is to start every day with a pure and genuine zeal and love for him. And from that motive, we'll expand and grow to actually be able to live out this passage and see it show up in the lives of others. Let's turn to Psalm 111, verse 1 through 9. You guys with us? This is going to be a fun one. Let's do it. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Do you hear how many times the psalmist is recounting the works of God? He says the works of his hand are faithful and just. Glorious are the works of his hand. I will, 
I will uh, call, he caused his wonders to be remembered. He's, he's remembering the actual works of God on earth, and he is enthralled with the works of God. He's enthralled with the works of God because he's enthralled with the character of God as he sees it in action on the earth. Church, when you love the King of Kings, when you love everything about him and you are gloriously running after him, you are in love with the works of God on earth. You begin to realize that God's works on earth are the people around us and the work that he's doing in them. You see, when you love him with a pure passion, you've interacted with the king, you want to see more of his working on this earth. You want to see more of his work done in the life of JJ, in the life of Spencer, in the life of everyone in the room. When you are, when you are completely and radically in love with the king of kings. Man, I remember so many times when just a joy overflowed in my heart because I saw the work of God in my wife. When I saw the work of God in my kids, when I see the work of God that God has been aiming at in my brothers, I am more thrilled than anything in my life. This directly stems from your love for the Lord and your interaction with him. Man, when you are, are in love, you want to see his works in action. But what does it look like when you don't love God and his works? This means that you intentionally forget corrections. We smooth over hard truths. We soften the blow to our friends and family. Now, what the pastor said, that, that, you know, he said it kind of harsh. Uh, this is what he really meant. When we devalue the works of God, we withhold what the Lord has given us to give to others. We lack the excitement to see the actual victory of God in the lives around us. Oh, but when you love the works of God... When you love the works of God, you're full of a joy that comes from being crafted by Him. And you're full of joy to actually engage in the crafting of others. And it becomes your lifelong pursuit of being blessed to join in the works of God. You actually begin to fight to see the works of God at play in the lives around you. Like I said before, I am insatiable. But there's one thing I find that I'm insatiable about is seeing the actual work of God on earth. I remember a time when I was young, I saw a man who was a father for 10 years who was an alcoholic and spent all of his money on alcohol and his children did not have beds to sleep on. His wife did not have new clothes. They had no food in the house. But when he got born again and filled with the Spirit of God, you know what he did? He threw that trash away. He bought... Uh, goods for his family his children were better they started going to school and his wife began to flourish in his house and that thrilled me with everything in in me i am so in love with the lord when i see the work of god at play i crave it more and more see that is the driving force that god is aiming at in this body to love the Lord and love his works enough to sacrifice for it every single day whether you have to be patient you might have to keep your mouth shut. You might have to speak when you want to keep your mouth shut. But you are passionately engaged because you're waiting to see that work of God become active in the brothers around you. Let's turn to Malachi 1, 6. 
says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. Guys, I want you to notice that what's about to happen is a direct result of how the priests were not honoring the Lord and getting excited about the things that were put in front of them. Is it you, O priest, who show contempt for my name? But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? See, he's speaking to the priest here, the men who were regularly ministering before his throne. And this pretty much includes everybody in the room. We are all ministering on some level or capacity. And they didn't see a problem with what they were interacting with. They didn't see a problem in how they were honoring the Lord with their lives. I've, I've been, been there. there. They are showing contempt for his name. This is one of the passages that rocked us. Verse 7 says, to their response, how are we showing contempt for your name? Verse 7 says, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals... Is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You see, the issue here is that they are offering half-hearted sacrifices to the Lord. Church, who are the sacrifices for? You are right. They are a pleasing aroma to the Lord and... They are offered on behalf and for the people. That is what we're doing in every Saturday home meeting, in every service. We are offering sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the brothers and sisters around us. The issue that God is taking with the priests is that they're one, failing in the direct honor to the Lord, their proper relationship with Him. They have their vertical reticle off kilter, and it's affecting everything that they do for the people and for the Lord. See, this shows up in many of our half-hearted sacrifices yeah. as well. This shows up in my half-hearted life-giving speech. I was just busy and I didn't have time to put together, you know, good word. This shows up in my half-hearted mashlam kha. I didn't really take the time to remember everything that happened this week or I intentionally forgot. This shows up in my half-hearted attention to my wife and kids. I'm just so tired. I want to go to sleep or I want to do what I want to do and then go do the same tomorrow. This shows up in my half-hearted attention to my workplace. The scripture says to work as if working for God. Yeah. <laughs> this shows up in my half-hearted prayer life. This shows up in my half-hearted attitude towards my responsibility in this body to be a priest and offer sacrifices. But thankfully, God is not done with these priests, and he's not done with us either. Come on. Verse 9 says, Implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that, the one, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. See, later on in the latter chapters of Malachi, the Lord promises to refine his priest. 
He promises that they will bring offerings of righteousness in their hands. But notice what he says to them presently. He would rather them shut the temple doors than continue making half-hearted sacrifices. We're supposed to love the Lord with our entire heart. We're supposed to have him as the one thing we're asking for. And the Lord would rather us just close this thing up. Stop ministering if you're going to do it half-heartedly. This is what we've been interacting with. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. The entire motive of the correction of the Lord to these priests is God's desire to see his own name great among the nations. You see, this can only be done by first acknowledging our lack of honor, love, and devotion to the Lord, and the effect that it has had on our sacrifices. For God's name to truly be great among the nations... We must and will become the people of ministry who love the Lord to such an extent that we are always bringing our best for the Lord and his people around us. We are the ministry of people, and we are going to continue to burn up on the altar the areas of our lives that we are holding on to our own desires and let our pure love and zeal for the works of God permeate our actions towards the people around us. As we're moving towards a close... We're going to read to you two more scriptures. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Guys, this is plural, you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Our prayer that has been for us this week and for everyone in the room is that our eyes might be opened and enlightened to the hope that we have in Christ. If you've recognized an area throughout this word that you need to get right, the goal is that you have hope that God is going to change and transform everything about that area. If you need help loving him, there's hope he will help you to love him. If you need help loving your brothers as you love him, he will help you to love your brothers. We're praying that the eyes of your heart may be opened tonight. In our final passage, let's stand to our feet. This is Exodus 31. Verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs and work of gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. See, Bezalel was the guy who made the ephod. He was enabled by the Holy One. He shows up on the scene filled with the Spirit of God to serve his brothers. If we want to be like Bezalel, if we want to be like that OG 
lens jewel crafter. We have to first get filled up before we enter the arena. We have to love him first as the foremost every day as the one thing because Bezalel showed up on the scene filled with the spirit of God and ready to accomplish his work. All ministry flows from your right relationship with him and then into your family and then into everything else. Like Bezalel, let's ask the spirit of God to open up our eyes, to give us wisdom and insight and understanding and how to love him more and how to craft our brothers. Let us ask him to fill us with his presence and draw us near to him tonight. Because there's only one thing we actually need. Everything that we will do comes after that. There's one thing that we really need to get right tonight. And it's to love him with that first kind of love. So as Justin prays, respond in the way that God is dealing with you. This altar is open. Pursue him with all of your heart this evening. That's what we're going to do. Mighty God, we thank you for the opportunity to enter your courts as your children. Lord, you have not abandoned us or left us alone. You have been with us and you have led us in your kindness. You have led us to your will. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now. Lord, we ask that you open the eyes of our heart to see the hope that we have in you. Lord, would you light the fire of our altars again? Would you light it in such a way that we leave here changed and dedicated to having that fire lit every single day? Lord, we love you and we want more of you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.